We're continuing our sermon series today called Three Big Questions that's based on the book called Three Big Questions. Uh, We started studying it last week. Reagan uh, did an introduction week for us about asking the right questions. And it's a wonderful way to start the series because if we're going to have a conversation about questions, we've got to know which questions to, to ask. What are the right questions? And Reagan shared with us last week that often the right questions for us to be asking are the hard ones, are the ones that we avoid, are the ones that we, we would really prefer not to uh, have to wander in. And they're often ones that we ask more than once in our lives. But we know, what we know about our children is that our children do not have problems asking questions the same way that we do as adults. Because there seems to be an innocence that you have as a child, a curiosity that you have as a child, that somewhere along the way we become a little bit too afraid of. It begins to involve too much of a risk. It maybe becomes too real for us. And so we're diving into these questions and we're inviting ourselves in the midst of this to let God open our hearts in a way to be curious like a child. Jesus talks about children all throughout the scripture and talks about having faith like a child. Not to have childish faith, but to have faith like a child. Meaning to stay curious, ask questions, have a longing and a yearning to dive deeper. So today we are talking about that first question that is part of the three big questions. And that question is, who am I? Who am I? We're talking about identity today. Now, how do you tell other people who you are? What are some of the ways that we tell people who we are? Well, we mentioned it just a few minutes ago. It's okay. I know most of the kids don't think that we have bumper stickers. Does anybody else have bumper stickers on their car? Are we a bumper sticker fan? Yeah. So I don't have any bumper stickers on my car, um, but it's because I can never quite find the right one that I feel like is like a really good defining one. But I love bumper stickers. I love reading bumper stickers. I love what it says about what you believe and what you think and what you think about the other people around you. Now, some of my favorite ones, I saw one the other day that was a mom one that was a, it said college mom. And then I saw another one that was a van, you know, and it didn't have any words, but it just had the pictures, and it was like one, two, three, four, five, six, like seven kids, which made me do like a double take, you know, like, oh my gosh, how many kids do you have in that van? And then, of course, we have the more sassy bumper stickers that um, say, uh, don't be jealous, I'm just a little cooler than you, and it has a picture of a cooler. Um, And then there's all the ones that I can't say up here because they're just flat out inappropriate, and um, I like my job and want to keep it. (laughs) But one of the ones that I did think about getting uh, several years ago was uh, the one that says baby on board, Um, or the one that says student driver. It alerts us to something that's going on around And I didn't know until I had a child that that's actually not just to tell people to back off or to drive better around you, but that's actually so that if there is a wreck, people know to go to the child first. But we have all of these different ways of labeling ourselves, of identifying ourselves as who we are. On the outskirts, you could say that I am a mom, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm a pastor, I'm a United Methodist, and the list goes on and on. And what we find is that there's this intertwining between what we do and who we are. 
but they're actually two separate things. And how much of what we do defines who we are? And is there a way for us to define ourselves, know our identity beyond what we just do or what we have done? The scripture today that we are reading is from, uh, is from the Gospel of John. Um, and it's a story about a woman who has done something, something that has given her a label. We're reading from chapter 8 this morning, starting in verse 2. It says, early in the morning, he, get, he came again to the temple. This is Jesus. All the people came to him and sat down and, began, and he began to teach them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law of Moses, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away and one by one, beginning with the elders, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. There's a lot of people with a lot of identity in this story. We've got the people who are the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, and you notice where they are. They are outside the temple. Can you imagine for a moment this scene? And can you imagine it being outside, right outside, like right in this courtyard right here? the walls of a church, that the important church people are right outside of the church walls, looking at a woman, bringing this woman before Jesus to test Jesus, not really even to care as much about who she is or what she has done, but to do it in order to test Jesus. That part of the scripture is said over and over again, they were doing this to test him. They were questioning Jesus to test him. Jesus, who do you say that she is? What do you say should happen to her? Because here is what she has done. And before God and before, before the church people and before the people of God, the righteous people of God, Moses says, here's what the right thing to do with her is. What do you say? They're trying to test him, question him, catch him off guard so that what he says might be different than what the law says. And if it's what is different than what the law says, they might have enough of a reason to arrest him. So Jesus does something kind of odd. He bends down. And he starts writing in the ground. 
Now, there's a part of me that thinks that Jesus is doing this parental thing that when your children start acting up, you just sort of ignore them for a minute and you just act like you're doing something else. But they continue to question him. They keep pushing him and pushing him. And he finally stands up. And the words that it says is Jesus straightened up. Now, that may seem like Jesus just stood up, right? No, what it says is that Jesus, instead of being bent over, being coward-like, being someone who was going to simply just dismiss this woman or let something happen to her, instead of taking the posture or position of someone with their head down, Jesus straightens up. He straightens up. And then what he says to the religious leaders is, whoever of you, whoever of you is identified, marked, labeled as the worst thing that you have done, you go ahead. How about you throw that first stone? If you are identifying yourself as the worst thing that you have done, how about you take that rock? And all of a sudden, the rocks began to fall. The rocks began to fall. And Jesus goes over to the woman, and I imagine the woman being bent over. There's not much said about her other than the wrong thing that she's done. But Jesus comes to her level. And once again, we hear those words, Jesus straightened up. Woman, has anyone condemned you? Woman, has anyone else defined you by this horrible thing that you have done? And she says, no, no one. And he says, then I don't either. Neither do I. Go away from this place and send no more. I love that last line of the scripture when Jesus is talking to this woman because what he says here is you do not have to stay in this label. You do not have to stay in this moment. Your identifying markers are not in the worst thing that you have done. So go from this moment and live according to the identity of something different. What is the identity that we have been given that we walk away with? It seems as though many of us either find ourselves in the position of the woman or the position of the people handing over the rocks, looking to throw the first stone. We like labels. Labels help us to make sense of things, but labels are different than identity. Labels are different than who we are. Labels talk about what we've done. And what Jesus says to this woman is your label is not what has to define you. If you leave from this place and you choose to go and sin no more, Jesus is not saying what you did was okay. Jesus is saying you don't have to live in that place. You don't have to have an identity that is marked by this. You can live and act a different way. And you can sin no more. Go from this place and instead of being identified as someone who should be stoned to death, instead be identified by Christ. 
What would it look like in our life if our identity was not wrapped up in the things that we did? Was it wrapped up in the bad decisions we make or even the life circumstances that happened to us? What if instead, foundationally and foremost, our identity was wrapped up in Jesus and who Jesus says that we are? When you answer that question, who am I? Does Jesus have anything to do with it? Does your faith in Christ have anything to do with who you say that you are? Are you a follower of Jesus? Because that gives us a different identity. So some of us are the ones throwing the rocks. Some of us feel like we're, we are the woman who, um, who is about to be stoned who just can't seem to catch a break <laughs> because there's labels being thrown at them. I'm going to sit right here. I'm not going to fall off the stage. It's going to be okay. I'm just telling you back at the back for the camera if you're wondering where I went. <laughs> okay, but follow me here. Some of us are both, and here's what that looks like. Oftentimes, the harshest labels, Oftentimes, the most difficult identities are the ones that we give and we throw at ourselves. And they're the ones that we don't share with anybody else. And we don't even name honestly out loud because we know we're not supposed to feel that way. But we start hurling rocks at ourselves. So I brought some rocks today. Don't ask me where I got them. I maybe borrowed them from a garden that I will return them to. So here's what happens when you start collecting rocks. Many of you know some of my story, and each of you, I'm going to tell you my story because I, then I want for you to reflect on your own story. Many of you have a story like mine where you had a definitive time in your life that was a before time. A before time when things were a certain way and then an event happens Something happens either to you or because of something you did, and that after changes everything. And you're stuck living in the after. And what you begin to do is you begin to pile rocks, rocks that you want to throw at yourself. And you start collecting them. So here's what mine look like. Two years ago, two and a half years ago now, woo, um, when my son went into the hospital, um, I've told many of you that he, uh, he, was, uh, um, he was retracting, which means that his chest was caving in. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what, what was happening. And so I took him to an urgent care that morning, and they checked his oxygen and said, you're a new mom, right? And I said, yes, this is, this is my first. And they said, kids get sick. It's okay. He's going to be fine. I then took him to the pediatrician that afternoon because he wasn't okay. He just was not okay. And this, it was so violently physical what was going on with him. The pediatrician then did not check his chest, looked in his ear, said he had a double ear infection, got me some medicine, sent me on that, my way. By five o'clock that evening, Kyle was out of town. I sent a video to one of my friends here in Dallas who's a nurse, and she called me from a winery in California and said, hey, I'm sorry, I'm at a winery, so this is a little weird, but that looks severe. You need to take him down to Vanderbilt. 
um, you need to go now. Um, and so I took him. Uh, they, when, I've never, I'd never been to the ER before. I'd never taken a child to the ER before. So I walk in, I show the front desk lady, he's just in a diaper by this point, what's going on? And she doesn't even let us sit down. She takes us right back. Um, we then spend four days in the NICU um, because he was not pushing oxygen out. He was getting oxygen in, but he wasn't getting it out. And so um, a doctor came to me in the ER after taking his blood work and putting him on oxygen and then what they call, it's either Vapotherm or Thermovape, um, and putting him on that said, if his CO2 levels do not improve in the next hour, we're going to need to put him on a ventilator. So that is all of my moment where things changed. James recovered beautifully four days after. Kids have this amazing way of terrifying you and then bouncing right back. I did not bounce right back. And here's what I began to learn was happening. So James gets out of the hospital. He's back to normal. Everyone else in my life is great. He's good again. He's back to normal. You know, we're going to get him on a preventative inhaler. We're going to do this. And we're going to watch this. Like, he's okay now. So you should be okay. And what I learned was going on in my brain was, was thoughts like this. If you were a good mom, you would have got him there earlier. If you were a good pastor you would have had more faith. If you were somebody that knew what you were doing, if you were smart enough, this wouldn't have happened. Why is he better and you're not better? If you were strong enough, you would be better by now. Was it really a smart decision to have kids in the first place? I ask that one still. <laughs> Let me think of another one. How are you going to get up in front of a congregation and talk about your faith in Jesus when you don't seem to have any faith at all anymore? And what begins to happen is all of this lives in your head and becomes part of who you label yourself. It becomes part of your identity. And none of it, no matter how heavy it is, I want you to hear how heavy that is. And while, yes, I'm up here crying, okay, yes, I'm pregnant, you know, it, I, I cry a lot. While I'm up here crying, what I need you to know is I don't need you to feel sorry for me. We are not in that place anymore. James is good. I'm as good. But there is a distinct before and after. And we each have one. We actually all have multiple in our lives. Moments where we can actually point to and say, that was the moment things changed. And we try to move past it and we try to move on from it. And what ends up happening is that a lot of it happens in our head and we just start putting rocks in a bag to hurl at ourselves. And Jesus comes to us in the midst of that and says, who condemns you? Who told you that you had to carry this? And I hear the voice of the woman who says, no one. 
No one told me that I had to carry this. No one condemned me. And Jesus looks at her and says, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. Somehow in our lives, dear friends, when we ask the question, who am I? We have to start dropping the rocks. We have to start dropping the rocks of who others have told us that we are. We have to start dropping the rock. We have to start dropping the rocks of shame that say that we are not enough. We have to start dropping the rocks that tell us and the world telling us that we're not okay. That there's only so much we could ever live up to. Because Jesus says when you drop that rock and you find your identity in a new place, you recognize what God has in store for you. When you answer that question differently because of what God has done for you, who Jesus has meant and been in your life, you find that you don't carry the burden. It's that song we sang earlier, lay down your burden, lay down your shame. All who are broken, which y'all, it's all of us, lift up your face. You're not too far. We have an identity in Christ that means that things can be different for us.